Welcome to the Next Step Business Podcast. I'm Bob Camp, your host. For each podcast, I'm inviting successful business leaders to discuss strategy, execution, high-performing teams, innovation, and more. Join us to learn more about getting the business you want and living life on your terms. Welcome, Jenna Johns, COO and co-founder of RDI Technologies. Before we get into talking about the business side, Jenna, I'd like to know some about you. How do you get to be the person you are today? So I never imagined that I would end up in this industry, and I never really thought of entrepreneurship as a career uh, growing up. And it's, it's funny I didn't because, you know, I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs, but I always thought I would go a different direction. I think a lot of us think we're going to not end up like our parents. And we, we think we're going to go do something wild and crazy and different than what they did. But it ends up that a lot of times we have a lot in common with them. And so, you know, I, I graduated college, I joined the corporate world, I thought I was going to kind of go that direction. I worked for two Fortune 500 companies. And I was always the why kid growing up and then in corporate America, and was constantly asking why we were doing everything. And that did not work well in corporate America. And I learned fairly quickly that it wasn't really where I belonged. So I left I left that job and joined my father uh, in his consulting business. He had done entrepreneurship for a while and then had started a consulting business where he helped other entrepreneurs build business models, business plans, you know, learn how to get funding, and then also worked on the other side with funders and funding agencies to kind of push their, you know, their funded entities along. So help them, you know, once they've been funded, help them get to the next like growth stage, help them get ready for expanding their sales team, all that sort of stuff. So I joined him and I loved entrepreneurship. I loved working with entrepreneurs. I had always felt like I was this kind of jack of a lot of trades and I was good at a lot of things, but I never felt like I was like an expert at anything, which actually works out really well in entrepreneurship because most of the time you have to juggle lots of hats and you have to be lots of different people. And nobody expects you to be exactly perfect at one of those, but they expect you to be able to manage all of those at the same time. Uh, So it turned out that entrepreneurship really was my thing. And then we got in there and we worked with uh, one of our projects was with the Department of Homeland Security managing like 20 of their projects that they had funded. And we got in there, we were working with these these entrepreneurs, but but they were really more researchers with kind of an entrepreneurial mindset. And one of their products and one of the one of the inventors, you know, we just meshed really well with and we felt like his product and, and his, you know, technology was really gonna take off. So both my dad and I joined him and then we started RDI and went full time into RDI and going after that business venture. And that was in 2015. So that has been the last seven years. That's amazing. Uh, there's a lot there to go after. <laughs> working in corporate America, asking why we're doing this, why is this important, or why are we doing it this way? Mm-hmm. And I understand the challenges of that because a lot of times it's just because that's the way it's always been. And, and it's hard for people to get outside of just actually digging in and trying to understand why something is being done and why can't we do it differently. So those discussions often get stopped. How do you, as an entrepreneur, keep that from becoming a, an internal problem with your company today? I think we foster in 
a environment where people can question the process. You know, we, we talk about how a lot of times it's not the person. So if something goes wrong in a scenario, like the first option is to blame the process, right? Not the person. So let's figure out what went wrong. Let's figure out why the process didn't work. Let's figure out where we can fix that process and get the right processes in place. And, you know, instead of blaming the person, let's blame the environment first. And so I think that really helps to foster a conversation about change and what's not working and why it isn't working, because people don't feel like it's a blame game. And I I think that's what the problem was a lot of times in corporate America is everybody, you know, nobody wanted to be the one to blame if this went wrong. And so it was so much easier to, you know, status quo, do it the way it's always been done, because then there's no questioning the person in that because they didn't change anything. And so so we really try to foster that environment where it's okay to have made a mistake and then question the process and work through how to fix that. That's important. There's a company that does root cause analysis and they do it in the energy industry around the world. They take that same approach. Is it a systems problem? Was it an environmental problem? Is it something that the training wasn't done properly or we just didn't have the knowledge? And so there's all those elements because the person shows up each day wanting to do a great job. It's just a matter of do they know what to do, how to do? And if there is a problem, do they know how to raise their hand? It's a big part of it. One of the things you and I talked about before, which I found compelling, was this element of just being brutally honest with each other, for lack of better terms. person I worked for years ago called it adult conversations. We're not going (laughs) to act like little kids trying to play hide and seek. No, we're going to have this conversation. Tell me more about that, because I think that has a lot to do with the success of your business. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important at all levels, and especially at a leadership level, to be able to admit fault and to be able to talk about things that you aren't good at or that you need help with. And so, you know, we've tried to be very open and honest about our shortcomings, about, you know, our skill sets, where we need to fill those gaps in. And, you know, I think that that makes other people comfortable coming and saying, you know, hey, this isn't necessarily where I feel like I fit. I mean, I think a great example is our director of operations now, She came in in marketing, right? And she did marketing for a year and we worked through marketing. And then finally one day she came to me and she was like, I actually hate marketing. Like, (laughs) I don't think this is going to work for me and I don't think this is the right fit. But let's talk about the things I'm really good at and let's talk about the things that I don't feel like I do well. Um, And that's when we were like, okay, well, you need to be in operations. And so we moved her into more of an operations role. And she's been promoted multiple times, you know, within the operations department because she's really excelled after finding. And and I think part of that was being honest, right? Instead of staying in a position where she felt like she couldn't do her best, you know, there was an environment where she could step forward and say, look, here, I'm not good at these things, but this is what I'm really good at. So where can I do that in the organization? Because that's where I'm going to bring, you know, the best benefit to the organization. Um, And I think just fostering those kind of conversations and having those conversations with employees helps us get people to where they're they're doing their best and they're excited about what they're doing. We move people around a lot for that reason, just trying to fill those gaps and then creating jobs based off of where we finally see, like once people get settled, we create a job based off where there's gaps between all of those people. Yeah, that's amazing because it's, 
it's, it's that element of getting people in the right seats. Mm-hmm. When you hire talent, you're hiring people who have the ability to think and do, but their skill set or their passions might be a, a more narrow focus. And so getting them into the right roles can make all the difference in the world for them, but also for you. Yeah. What The other element that you brought in there was, as an executive, is also recognizing what your strengths are not. And that's one of the challenges I see for a lot of companies, whether they're new, like you are only eight years, which I still consider new, yeah. or been in business <laughs> for 40, 50, or 100 years. Mm-hmm. You still find executives doing things that they're not particularly good at. And that distracts them from doing what they are best at or what they need to be best at. How how do you as an organization then, and let's just say the leadership team, when one of you comes to the table and says, I need this kind of help, I need this kind of resource, whatever, how do you guys go about finding that talent or hiring that talent? What's that process look like? Um, I mean, I think a good example of it, of you know, one of those things that we've done is sometimes it's it's not necessarily about finding that talent externally, but about knowing what we're lacking and finding that person internally, and then trying to push them into that job. I mean, I think the example I gave about you know our our director of operations is a good one of those. You know, I am um, I'm a big picture person. I am a um, person who, like I said, likes to do lots of things at once. You know, I like to say my secret power is in getting things done. So that's what I'm good at is getting things done. I am terrible at details. So like I will get it across the finish line, but like everything is not going to be clean and perfect and all of the details thought of. Um, And so, you know, my director of operations, she was working in marketing and we were talking about these things and she was telling me, you know, she loves details and she loves getting all these things done and she loves the checklists and, and all of that sort of stuff. And I was like, that's exactly what I'm missing. So how can we take what I am not good at and what you're not good at and combine them? Um, And so, you know, I think that's, it's about having those conversations about being open about what we're not good at. And then I think we can find within our organization people who are good at those things. Um, And if we don't have people that are good at those things, you know, it's, at least we know what we're looking for in the interview process. So we can ask questions about, in that example, you know, asking questions about, you know, how detail oriented are you? Give me examples of how, you know, you worked through this process. And, you know, if we're looking for someone who's detail oriented, they're going to give a lot of details about how they worked through a process versus someone who's going to talk about, you know, the overarching things that happen. Um, so I, I think that finding out how to, you know, fill those gaps, the first challenge is really being honest about where those gaps are and not being afraid to, you know, admit what you're not good at and be just, you know, brutally open about, you know, this just isn't who I am. Um, and I think a lot of executives feel the need to, you know, not have flaws or to feel like they do can do everything. Um, but that's not beneficial to finding people who fill the gaps, right? <laughs> I remember I worked with a gentleman several years ago. He was a very detailed person. I'm the big picture. And he called me net, net, Bob, because we you know, go in the meetings and I go, give me the net. Go, no, no, just give me the net. And because I trusted him to get the job done, but I had to recognize there were times he needed more detail from me. Mm-hmm. So, And on the other side, he knew that he needed to, give me the, the summary. And if I wanted more detail, I would ask. So most of the time it was really about trusting the individual. Once you have that relationship, you almost 
say the same things. We just say it from different perspectives. <laughs> yeah. And I think it helps really drive that relationship of making people comfortable with saying like, okay, you're not giving me enough details. So mm-hmm. let's take a step back and give me more details so that I can go do my job. And it's like, oh, okay, sorry. I didn't realize you needed more. <laughs> Working with the exact, the partners specifically, because it's great you and your father found this person that you you really liked what they were doing and, and apparently you liked the person. How is that how has that relationship evolved? Because you guys have been at it now for seven, close to eight years. How has that evolved from the idea stage to, hey, we're all on this? I mean, because you started out with something or thinking that it was something. How is that whole start with the relationship, but also talk, weave in your product thoughts and where you where you came from or where you're at today? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, relationships like that always start out, you know, with a lot of trepidation, because it's kind of like, are we going to be able to make this work? You know, one of my partners obviously was my dad. So we had a, you know, we had a relationship already, but we'd never had to really work together to achieve a goal. And so there's, you know, that changing of the relationship and changing of, you know, a father daughter relationship to a relationship of equals. Um, and so I think that that's something that, you know, the three of us and, and Jeff included, you know, even though he wasn't in the family, he kind of felt like he got pushed into the family a little bit um, in that scenario. Um, but it was really trying to find a balance of figuring out where we fit in in building this, you know, what responsibilities we were going to have, what was kind of and not that we ever siloed anything, but what was like our silo where we could feel like we really excelled at and we could make things happen and feel ownership over so that we weren't constantly having to second guess each other. Um, like, for example, my dad, he was great at sales. He built sales teams multiple times. Um, and so he really owned that. You know, Jeff and I did not have a lot of a lot of experience in that or, you know, understanding of the sales process as much. And so he, you know, we'd kind of trusted that this was his thing and he knew how to do it. And so, you know, he would go run with it and then we'd figure out how all the other things we were working on um, worked within that, that kind of framework. And same thing with product. Um, You know, Jeff was really good at ideas and he's an inventor, you know, he's a scientist at heart. And so, you know, we tried to give him space and I tried to take over a lot of the, you know, day-to-day business operations and, and all of the things that needed to happen um, to make, make this go out, like the marketing and putting in processes and all that sort of stuff so that he could focus on really developing cool products and things that could sell in the market. Um, And all three of us kind of had our hand in each other's, you know, space. And we talked about it all the time. We had, you know, when you're small, you have consensus management for a long time. Um, So we had that sort of, you know, we all came together and discussed whenever there were any issues. Um, But we each kind of had our wheelhouse. And I think that was really important for us as we started and grew because it allowed us to, you know, feel like we had something we owned and we had responsibility for and we, you know, could take pride in. And so when we came back together and we were presenting, there wasn't as much of that um, push and pull or, you know, whose responsibility is this? It was more of it became a partnership because we started trusting each other and knowing like, okay, you, I know you're going to create this amazing product that I can market and I can, you know, and then that I can sell. Um, And so, you know, I think it was that trust took a while to build. But I think part of building that trust was 
having something individually we could execute and own. Um, and I think that, you know, a lot of that, it was hard because we were all in, you know, we joked at one point in time, we had a person in every single decade in our company from like 20s to 70s. Um, <laughs> and so there was so, so much difference in how we operated um, and how we, you know, worked. And so, you know, I, it was important, I think, having these responsibility areas because I came in this fairly young. Um, and it was important for me to have the space to prove to my partners that, you know, I did have the experience to do this and I could make it happen. Um, and then, you know, it's hard. It's, I'm sure, you know, working with your daughter, it's hard having a child and then learning that they're an adult and that they know how to do all these things and step out of that. Um, but we were able to all get there. So I think it's been, it definitely was a journey and it took, you know, a while to get there. But I think once you get there, that's something you, that level of trust is something you can't really replace because it's, you know, trusting that somebody is going to do um, their job to get your, your baby. I mean, when you create a company, it's, it feels like it's your baby. So you're almost co-parenting with all of these people. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, working with my daughter, you, you said something earlier. There is this moment and then this happened before we started working together when I realized that you know, she's sharing things with me just to share not to be a sounding board or to get my advice on something it was just to share and recognizing that where her skills and talent were and then when we started working together we also have a partner out of state that we work with and something you said earlier it's about everybody recognizing each other's talents, each other's strengths, and also recognizing it from our own personal perspectives uh, about ourselves, that has really paid out because we did something that we, we all, we've all done strengths finder. And it's really interesting to lay out on the, you know, on the, on a chart to say, here's where the strengths are at. And, and we complement each other so well, that's been one of the great parts of that. And I think that's the reason why our, you know, our relationship works well and the business works well is really finding that balance and there's still gaps, but we have to outsource it or we have to just being a small group, we have to, to pull up the bootstraps and just take care of it. That's what happens when you're an entrepreneur. Um, tell me about your business now, because you have rapidly grown from an idea that now your, your sales are international. And how does that, how did that happen? Um, a lot of work, <laughs> a lot of years. Um, you know, it's one of those things. It is, you know, a little bit like raising kids where like it feels like you're in the trenches and then all of a sudden you look up and you're like, oh, my gosh, they're a teenager. Um, and so I, I think that it's really similar to that sort of thing. We, you know, we we started this in 2015. That's when we launched our product was the, the end of that year. Um, and we started it's interesting. We started as a service company. Um, and then we heard a lot of feedback from our customers about how they, this was so easy to do. This was so, you know, something that they felt like they could own. So we took, you know, a six month hiatus and we, you know, went and patented everything. We went and got funding and we really built out the product line. Um, and then we started pushing that product out in 2016. Um, and, you know, listening to our customers paid off. They were right. People wanted to buy the product. Um, so we were able to, from 2016 to 2020, we ended up on 
um, the Inc. 500 list at number 33 and number 300 and then number 3,000, three years in a row. Um, so three is our lucky number, but... <laughs> But, it, you know, it's it's it, and people always say, like, you drop down. I'm like, well, it's really hard to keep growing at a uh, number 33 pace because that's a lot of growth year over year. And as your numbers get higher, as we all know, that growth, you know, is hard to maintain. Um, but we were able to, I think, really grow by partnering with the right people in this industry. So we immediately went out and partnered with service companies. So service companies that could go out and be, you know, evangelists for us. So they were already out into our customer base. They were already out there doing services um, and they could go out and use the product and, and get to people before we had really the growth to get to people on our own. Um, and that allowed us to grow through through partners. Um, we did the same thing with distributors too. So we found people that we, that we trusted that were, you know, interested in pushing this product out in multiple different countries. Um, and we just started pushing those relationships early. Um, relationships, I would say have been key to us growing and getting things out the door. Um, it's super important as, as a small company to foster relationships with as many people as you can, um, and foster relationships that are reciprocal you know, we are willing to go out and help them. They're willing to go out and help us. And there's not really this like pay to play sort of mentality. It's more of like someone who wants to do it because they genuinely like working with you. Um, <laughs> and that's where I think that culture piece is really important um, to keep in place with those relationships while you grow. Um, but we, um, I went off on a little bit of a tangent there talking about it, but um, no. But we, um, I'd say that it was it was really based on those relationships that we were able to get into a lot of the companies that we've gotten into, um, and then from there, we once we've proven once we proved the product once, we were able to start growing those relationships ourselves within those companies. So you get into somewhere like um, like a Nissan, and you you prove it in one plant, and then now our salespeople can go to every plant and say, you know, look at the successes we had at this Nissan plant. You know, there's no reason you're any different. So that was really our kind of our trajectory was using those partnerships to get the first sales then using those first sales to expand further past that you used the word culture can you go a little bit deeper in how culture works in in working with your partners yeah so our culture within our company is that we are a um customer first company and we see our partners as customers as well so we treat our partners like customers and everyone in our organization um, is willing to pick up their, their cell phone at any point if somebody calls and, and talk to them and help them. Every person in our organization is trained on our product. So we send everybody through, you know, the detailed training on how to use our product, how to understand our product. So if, you know, someone calls them and says, Hey, I'm having an issue with this. They don't have to go through five different people. Not that every one of our people is customer support, but if you happen to, you know, catch someone, you're at least getting some help. Um, and so we really took that idea of customer first, um, to, to heart, you know, when our customers come in and our service companies come in, our partners come in, um, everyone in the organization sits down and has lunch with them. Um, and we really enjoy getting to know them and develop like develop actual relationships with them so that they do feel comfortable calling us. And that's really fostered, I think, this culture of, you know, it's not just 
a company that I deal with. It's a company that I trust. And it's a company where I have, I can put faces to names and I, you know, I see this person, I, I see an email from this person and I know what that person looks like. And I've talked to that person and I've had lunch with them. And, you know, so if something goes wrong, I'm also more willing to, you know, jump in there and work with them instead of just getting upset, you know? So I think it's been really beneficial for us to foster that sort of customer first mentality and those relationships because it's helped people to, you know, build that trust that when they buy something from us or when they partner with us, um, they don't have to worry about it. That's an amazing perspective and, and a powerful way to build a sustainable business. The relationships are everything. And the fact that you treat your partners as customers, I really think plays a long way in, into making it sustainable. Uh, we see too many companies out there who say they have partnerships, but all they really want is an avenue to sell something and trying to push something versus, to your point, picking up the phone, answering questions, helping them out, being there for them, and they're going to be there for you. Yeah. So that's awesome. It's um, amazing in this environment how much people just aren't used to that, and it goes such a long way. Yes, yes. So in your growth uh, path, you've had organic growth. Are you looking at other ways to grow the business as well? Yeah, so we've had organic growth to date. Um, we went through a majority recapitalization with SFW um, this year. And part of that was because um, our next phase of growth over the next five years will include acquisitions. So we wanted to, you know, get get someone behind us who has, you know, the 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 money and the the you know connections to really um, push a lot of those acquisitions. So we are actively looking at acquiring new companies. Um, we expect to have one done by the end of this year, um, and then probably another early next year. Um, and we are looking at not just acquiring for mass. I, you know, we see a lot of companies that, that will go and they just, you know, buy other companies and bolt them on so that they get bigger. Um, that's not really what we're looking for. We're looking for very strategic acquisitions that allow us to, you know, enter new markets to expand into, you know, expand our technology into other areas. Um, and that really expand the use cases for the camera as the sensor of the future. Um, so we wholeheartedly believe that cameras are the future and cameras are the way that everything's going because they're non-contact. Um, they're easier to use. It's visual. We're getting to the point where especially younger generations are, you know, so used to visually understanding things versus having to go and piece together all of these details. Um, plus, we're very visual naturally. And so it's just something that goes with our nature, but also with where things are headed. So um, we're really investing in that idea and then looking for technologies that complement and push that idea forward um, to where we can, you know, proliferate cameras as sensors throughout multiple industries, not just, you know, the reliability space that we're currently in. Yeah, I'm going to come back to the uh, to the technology in a moment. First of all, you know, the acquisition piece, one of my mentors made the comment, the first thing we look at is the things you were talking to strategically, where does it fit? Can we expand into, do, do they, can we benefit from their markets? Can they benefit from our markets? And so that was one of the things that's looking for those mutual wins. The second one, he said, that's what we qualify them in with. What we qualify them out with was culture. If the culture doesn't fit, uh, then the probability of success was greatly reduced. And so that was one of the things, and I know that 
you've kind of talked a little bit about that before when you go and look at an organization. Uh, it's always about, you know, are you putting your money where your mouth is? You know, it's uh, are you doing the things that make a difference? And, and is that company consistent with your thinking? So um, that's something we that? really are kind of thinking about and trying to think about as we go and look at companies. Um, and I think it's interesting because I think it works both ways, too. You know, we really when we find someone we're interested in or we're wanting to move forward with, we've all been through um good and bad acquisitions. So, you know, as people who've been in corporate America, most of the people in our organization have been through a good one and they've been through a really bad one. Um, so we we also, as the acquirer, try to talk to them a lot about culture because I think it's important for them to understand like that we we are not trying to come in and, you know, turn this culture into something that is like frustrating and cumbersome and that's full of all these like loop, like loopholes you have to go through to get anything done. Like that is not what we're trying to do here. We're trying to find, you know, synergies to move forward. And so I think that culture piece goes both ways. Um, it's important to find it in the company you're acquiring, but it's also important, you know, to have a good culture to bring people into as the acquirer and see them, you know, immediately as members of your team and, and kind of treat them that way, because it can be pretty painful to be on the other side of that. Yes. <laughs> so the great acknowledgement there yeah. <laughs> and, and great insight. Thank you. Let's go back to the technology because I find it, one, fascinating what the technology is. Second is you being a younger person actually being involved in this serving industry because you know, everybody wants to go, I always equate it to a lot, of, a lot of younger people want to pursue things that are new technology, but you're really making this is new technology or new ways of using technology, uh, but the applications that you have and how you're going about this is, is really amazing in the world of production. Yeah, it's been really fun. I mean, so just just kind of to give a, a brief you know, history of what our, I guess, explanation of what we do. So we, we take cameras and we turn every pixel of that camera into a sensor. Um, so our industry typically has had um, attached sensors, sensors that you go and have to physically put on equipment and machinery. And then a um, and then a technician has to go in and figure out what's wrong by reading all of these charts and graphs um, versus what we do is we turn all those pixels into sensors and then we amplify that. So visually, you can look at it and actually see the problems and, um, and, you know, comprehend what's going on without having to, you know, go detailed look at all these graphs and charts. Um, and I think it's interesting that you talked about it with like, you know, that idea of younger people coming in and kind of changing technology. You know, it has been something that I've been surprised at how excited people were who have been in this industry for 30 years. You know, we thought we were going to get so much pushback, but we had people who'd been in this industry for 30 years and they were saying like, we haven't seen something different in 20 years. So we're all we're all engineers at heart. We're people who love tech. And so like the fact that what we've been doing hasn't changed for 20 years, like we're excited. Um, and so they were really excited to get in there and try something new. And and we were surprised by that. You know, we thought a lot of people were going to be stuck to what they were doing, um, but they really jumped in and adopted it. And it's been good, too, because tech, newer technologies also help them to recruit. So it helps them to recruit like next generation of people. And, you know, this industry of production and manufacturing, it is an aging industry and they're having a really hard time recruiting people. 
Um, and so one of the things they do is use new technologies like ours to recruit people in and show them, you know, we're doing this in different ways. We're, you know, adopting new technologies like this can be an exciting engineering career. It can be something where, you know, there's a lot of things that you can do and a lot of, you know, interesting engineering that you can work on versus just, you know, coming in and reading some charts and graphs and, you know, and making a decision on what to fix and what not to fix. It's more than the camera, right? It's the software. It's all the intelligence you build behind it. Mm -hmm. I just find it, to your point, I haven't seen anything like this. So when I first heard about RDI and went to your website, saw what you were doing, uh, I just remember the days, to your point, when you put sensors on the machine to find out, okay, this motor is starting to vibrate. And now we're starting to find it. We need to do some repair needs to be done. Maintenance needs to be done before it breaks down. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's the simplest form of the way I can explain that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what we're, we're at, too, is looking at new ways to use that. Right. So it's like we've we've done that in this industry. We know we can. So now we're looking at, you know, different ways to do that with like test and measurement. Right. So going into a, a market where people test product before it goes out the door and figure out how we do this during, you know, testing of cars during product testing, drop testing, things like that, to where, you know, not only do you fix those machines, but you can fix product before it ever goes out the door as well. So that's a, a new fun one we've been really excited about lately. That's pretty cool. Tell me before we close up, being this COO, what are the key lessons you've learned that either were expected or surprising to you? Um, you know, over this last seven years that when you step back now and, go, and, and say to yourself, if I had known this before, I might have done this differently or it was important for me to learn this, however you might approach that. Yeah, I, I would say for me, um, having started in this fairly young, um, the biggest lesson I've learned is in confidence. So I think early on, I second guessed myself a lot and I, you know, I questioned, you know, Am I ready to do this? Can I do this right? And, you know, when I got feedback from people, I, you know, I took it very personally and I felt like people thought I wasn't good enough to do this job or I felt questioned a lot. Um, and I think as I got older and as I was in this role for a while, I really learned that, you know, the best bet you can make is on yourself. Um, and, you know, just believing that you can do it and going forward, there's no... There's no secret formula to, you know, being an entrepreneur and creating a company. It's not, you know, it's not, nobody can gatekeep it. It's not something that like you have to have, it's great to have experience, but it's not something you have to have, you know, 30 years of experience to be able to do, you know, sometimes coming in with fresh ideas and not with this like formula for how it has to be done. Um, is helpful. And so I, I think confidence is probably the biggest one. And learning to trust your instincts and trust yourself um, as you're building something. And um, I wished I, I, I wish if I could go back with anything, I wish I had learned that a lot sooner. So learning to bet on yourself and learning to trust yourself, I'd say are the most the most important things I've learned. Let me know if this is aligned with your perspective. Because I think part of that is you are bringing new ideas to the table. You're bringing fresh energy, for lack of a better term. Somebody who's who's willing to step into the fire, move faster than other people are sometimes. 
And the resistance that you get and the feedback that you get are based upon old habits, old biases, old ways of doing. And Mm -hmm. we forgot why we have those opinions. To go back to your why statements earlier in our conversation. And it's so important, I think, for anyone to recognize that the pushback you get is someone else's lack of understanding of your perspective as well and and their lack of openness. And rather than pushing back, we all need to be asking questions about why, right? What, mm-hmm. what drove that perspective? How are you thinking about that? Why are you thinking that? Yeah. So, I would add, you know, I think it's funny. I had a conversation with, um, I'm sure you know, Sean Carson um, down mm-hmm. at UT nowadays. Um, but I had a conversation with him very early on when we were building the company and we were talking about packaging and I was trying to work out packaging for our product when we first had the, you know, the first product we were getting ready to send out. And I was like, well, I would really like for it to be recyclable and I would really like for all of these things, but that's more expensive. And so I have to go to this option because it's the cheapest option and it's the way that we can get to market the fastest. And he was like, well, why? And I like, it hit me that like, I'm the one who's been asking why my whole life. And then all of a sudden he asked me why. And he was like, it's your company. You can make the choice to spend more money on packaging because recycling it is important to you. And I was like, Sean, you're right. (laughs) And so it was a big moment for me when like my instinct was, like I said, my instinct was to get that packaging because that was something that was important to me as, you know, a tenant in building our company. But I felt like I couldn't because I felt like I had to go with the cheapest option. Um, And so I hear my I hear Sean in my head all the time telling me, you know, why you can make that decision if you want to. And I'm like, okay, cool. Thanks. (laughs) That's one of the things I really liked about Sean is in working with him is that he asked the questions that challenge your thinking, but also ask the questions that sometimes you don't want to be asked. Yep. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) This is good. Jenna, I just really appreciate your time today. We could talk for hours. I just, every time we sit down, I'm always just impressed with everything that, that you have to share and your perspectives on things. So I want to close this up on this element, just saying thank you so much for, for sharing today. This is, um, I think people are going to find this very interesting and I'm excited for, for where you're going. Well, thanks for having me. And I'm, you know, I'm excited about the podcast and all the things you're doing to, you know, push entrepreneurship and, you know, give people the, the opportunity to, you know, pursue entrepreneurship and, and understand that it's an option for them. So I think that's super important. And, you know, I'm really excited that, you know, you're doing this podcast, but also all the work you're doing to support entrepreneurs in the community as well. Oh, thank you. Thanks. You too.